I made a mistake some time ago. If you have trouble sleeping, and I used to sleep like a rock. I used to fall asleep in the middle of every parade, my plebe year at the Naval Academy, literally standing up in the hot sun, fell asleep in every single one. Somehow, I managed not to skewer myself on my bayonet, thank goodness. Anyway, if you have trouble falling asleep, do not do what I did and start listening to The Edge of Sleep. The Edge of Sleep is a drama podcast. It's pretty awesome. The guy who does the main character's voice, he sounds really familiar. I can't place the voice. Anyway, it's probably come up in your recommendations and uh, it, it is worth listening to, just not at night. It's about some sort of zombie apocalypse sort of situation where there's only a few people left who are alive and uh, it's all about their attempt to survive. I, a little bit of a spoiler here. It's not about them trying to save humanity. Unfortunately, it's just about them trying to survive. I was, was hanging on the whole time for the save humanity plot, but that never really came around. There's a scene in which the main character is a young boy dreams of a whale and he dreams of real whales, but the whale also is a character. All of this makes me think of this idea I had not too long ago, which is the worst kind of punishment in some sort of future state might be to put your brain inside an animal. And I think the most foreign thing for us humans would be to have our brain put into a whale. And we're just sent down in that environment for seven years or so. I imagine you'd come back rather crazy. Some of you are probably going, well, that could never happen, thank goodness. But it probably could. I'm sure someday humans will figure out a way to put human brains in animal bodies and animal brains in human bodies. In the last episode, we talked about ideas that matter, that really matter, being ones that might blow your mind. And I don't know, I, even though I came up with that whale prison idea, it, it blows my mind, even though it may appear absurd to others. I was thinking that with global pandemic, we could probably use a lot of earth shattering ideas. Things like sensors that are in vivo in the body to detect viruses in real time. Rather than having to test people in a future pandemic situation, maybe there will be some sort of automated system inside the bodies of select humans, like those most at risk or those most in the network, like your grocery store cashier or your fast food attendant. And that system would all the time be monitoring whether they've been exposed, whether they're developing something. Obviously, those who are epidemiologists or doctors will no doubt cite all sorts of challenges here, but there's challenges with any human endeavor. And they're probably with enough brain power and enough energy, there are ways to probably surmount those to a reasonable degree to get the return that we would want for that sort of situation. I mean, God, 
it would be better than waiting on test kits to be in plentiful supply. Of course, for those who have been with us for the few times we've talked about black swans on this podcast, now that we've clearly identified the test kit problem, that won't be the major problem in the future. That won't be our black swan situation because we already know about it. I'm just having fun slash horror thinking about the errors that will be caused by needs to update the firmware on those in vivo test machines. It's hard enough on a damn printer. It might surprise members of this audience to know that commandos do often go commando. But I was joking around with my daughter the other day about tattooing a stripe of the top of my Under Armour boxer briefs that I sometimes work out in. They say never out hustled. Tattooing that on so that I would never actually have to wear underwear. It was kind of a relation to the permanent makeup trend that was around for a while. Of course, for those who got permanent makeup, it still is around. I like to think that all genius is metaphor. That doesn't mean that my idea is genius, though. We definitely need more and bigger ideas, though. We can't leave it all to Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and Gandhi. I've never experienced self-forming teams, but that is a fairly radical idea. I've experienced that on the kickball field or basketball court, of course. Not in the workplace. Very curious to know the experience of those who have been a part of those. My understanding is it generally works well. And I think it's a great filter for jerks and other corporate 'er ne'er-do-wells. And I think that there could be better ways of finding leaders and strategists in an organization. The way it works generally in the military and in business is that you have those folks scrub the dishes and do activities that are menial, not always manual labor, of course, I'm exaggerating, but you have them start out at the lowest rung and there is a huge benefit to experience. But the efficiency of that experience is extremely low. I don't know how many of you have watched the average Little League baseball practice, football practice. They are generally extremely inefficient. You'll have one coach hitting ground balls to an entire infield one at a time. I'd like to think there's a machine that you could invent where it sends ground balls to everyone at once. And then they all hit one target. Hopefully it's not a real live third grade first baseman, but it could be a net with a target. There's lots of ways to be more efficient on the baseball diamond for little leaguers, but corporate life and the military as well. One of those could be finding your best generals. I don't know if I want to go as far as the Ender's Game route, but there's got to be a better way than having your potential chess grandmasters playing checkers for decades. While some of these ideas sound crazy, let's just remember that so many ideas that we take as commonplace now were deemed crazy by many, many, many others. 
people know this, but then they commit the same sin in the present day. I, I do the same thing. I'm guilty of as well. By no means is our experiment with democracy over. But if we look to even a few hundred years ago, the sole examples were few and far between and weren't around anymore. And the average person, especially the average educated person, would doubt whether the masses could govern themselves. So as we try and generate ideas that will shape civilization and take our organizations to the next level, the biggest sin is taking things for granted. Eureka. I think there's a Eureka, Iowa or Ohio or Pennsylvania. Maybe there's multiple Eurekas in the United States. Eureka means I have found it in Greek or ancient Greek. And supposedly it's what Archimedes said when he figured out how to measure the density of an object like a gold crown without melting it down. And the story goes that Archimedes was given this assignment by the king and had a number of days to figure the problem out to see if the gold was pure gold or if some silver had been substituted. And I, I think the story goes that if he hadn't figured it out, he would have had his head chopped off. I remember my dad telling me the story that Archimedes supposedly was sitting in the bathtub pondering his fate and trying to figure out a last-ditch answer to the problem and realized that the water in the bathtub went up when he went in. And so, again, the story goes that he figured out that you could immerse the crown in some water, figure out the volume that was displaced of the water, and then calculate the mass of the crown with a reference object and then figure out the density. Uh, there are some people who dispute parts of that story and even the measurement itself, but that method in terms of water displacement is known as the Archimedes principle. For some reason, I used to think that supposedly Archimedes made the word up and it didn't actually mean anything. It was like Shazam, which I recall being a terrible kids movie. I think there are probably tons of average people who know the word Eureka and have a sense for what it means, but have no idea what the story is behind why we use the word today, which if Eureka wasn't a popular enough word or phrase in ancient Greek, it became pretty popular when Archimedes took to the streets naked, shouting it, I have found it, I have found it. After he found the solution, I guess not having his head chopped off made him pretty happy. Along with Pythagoras, the creator, author of the Pythagorean theorem, Archimedes is what I would call a titan of history who discovered solutions that few others could conceive of before and who discovered these solutions and came up with ideas in such volume. The amount of accomplishments for Pythagoras and Archimedes is just mind-boggling. The question is, 
is such genius relegated to these titans of history? Or are we capable of that same level and in such a volume? I like to think we are. So if you want to become a mini Galileo or Pythagoras, by the way, anyone remember that math video with Donald Duck back in the day made by Disney? If you haven't read a biography of Walt Disney, he's a fascinating character. He, in addition to his many other accomplishments, took an interest in educating the populace. Uh, not just kids, but adults as well. But for kids, there was this math video and Donald plays pool and he plays musical instruments and a sort of pedantic and uh, condescending author keeps explaining to Donald <laughs> how all these mathematical principles work and, and Donald uh, just plays the fool the whole time. I mean, I guess <laughs> playing the fool would, would uh, ascribe to Donald uh, intelligence that, that maybe he doesn't actually have. So, um, but it's, uh, that video has stuck with me ever since. Anyway, I recall things like the Pythagorean theorem and angles being explained to Donald. So if Donald can understand it, we all can. How do these guys come up with so many ideas and how can you? I've come up with a method I call the Time Warner Cable Method. That's TWC, Time Warner Cable. First of all, these guys had time. You have time as well. You can choose where to use it. There are lots more distractions now than those guys had and arguably more responsibilities. You can use that time however you want though. So you need to spend the time trying to come up with ideas, trying to ponder the world's problems. The second part of the framework, the W, is wonder. Having some awe about the world, I suppose, is something you can develop, but it doesn't come naturally to everyone. But without that kind of wonder, you won't ask the deep questions about the world and about why things are that you need to come up with ideas. You need to pursue truth, and most of all, Pursue that truth over tangible gain. If you chase the gain, you'll always be inventing a better mousetrap as opposed to something more substantial. Finally, the C stands for confidence. They believed they would find the answers. They believed they would come up with ideas. That's why I said that they discovered the solutions because in a sense, the solutions were already there waiting for Archimedes, Pythagoras, and countless others to find them. As someone who has no shortage of ideas, perhaps I scoff a little too much at articles that I came across preparing for today's show that are titled things like Nine Habits That Make It Easy to Come Up With Great Ideas sounds a little like an article that might say 10 ways to be a nicer person. There's something unsatisfying about the content of an article that is so fundamental, but 
I suppose everyone's just so busy in their lives and the modern education system stunts the creativity and curiosity of the average person so much that they really require basic medicine. As I looked at some of these articles, though, about how to come up with ideas, the habits and recommendations were really sort of superficial. So I do not recommend you go there. I will not link to those in the show notes. Because what you really need are just the basic framework that I laid out. Now, one note. I do have a growth mindset. Hopefully you do too. Hopefully that is gospel now in America and the rest of the world. That being said, certain people have more of a proclivity for this than others. Just like being creative or wanting to do public speaking, there are things that you can train. There are things we can all learn. And maybe the best person is someone who started out at a lower point and with less talent and less proclivity. But there is some innate, inborn nature in some people that asks why more than others. And I I don't know how much someone who doesn't have that can make up for it. It's, It's really an open question for me. So to rehash, be curious. Have that wonder about the world. And that will lead you to be smart. I almost put be smart as a top level part of the framework. But if you actually wonder about the world, then the being smart will take care of itself. Be passionate about delight and be focused about providing that to yourself and others. So once you have that time, wonder, and confidence, if you're not focused on delivering something to society, then you'll probably be a little short on the vision of your idea. At Amazon, in the white papers that lay out the vision for a new business, that customer delight is emphasized by everyone who reads it and in the discussion that follows. Then take the time and finally, believe, have faith. Believe there's an answer. Believe you can find an answer. Believe that there are multiple answers and generate those. Have an expansive ownership of the whole domain of human knowledge and believe in your ability to obtain that knowledge. Finally, believe in the fundamentally limitless capacity of humanity. Next group, after guided meditation, after we open our heart chakras, when it's time to hug, I'm gonna grab that little Marla Singer and scream. Marla, you liar! You big tourist! I need this! Now get out! Or humanity just might be a work in progress.
January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. What you heard there was a little part of Apple's famous 1984 Macintosh commercial. I love that commercial. It's probably my favorite commercial ever. Of course, people make snide remarks in the YouTube comments about how Apple has <laughs> become Big Brother. I won't take a stand there. It doesn't take away from the fact that the woman coming in with a sledgehammer and breaking the screen really does encourage us all to ask why. The actress actually uh, looks like Cameron Howe from the character Cameron Howe from Halt and Catch Fire. And I, I was thinking about how there are different kinds of people. We talked about that earlier. We all want to ask why. You want to have your teams ask why and generate those big ideas. Remember from part one of this mini series, we talked about leveling up, leveling up, and then leveling up again as a leader in terms of what your visibility is of the strategy that you're trying to articulate. So rather than focusing in your little silo, you pick your head up and then pick it up again and look over the trees, look over everything around you and try and figure out the best path. But there are different kinds of people that you're going to encounter and you can't affect all of them. You're not going to make all of them ask why. And those different kinds of people, I think, are behind a lot of the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. In The Innovator's Dilemma, which is a classic business book by Clay Christensen, a professor at Harvard Business School, who unfortunately died in January of this year, in that book, Professor Christensen talks about how some companies who are innovative in the beginning fail to continue innovating. And at least as we were taught at Harvard Business School, a big reason for that is, A, companies want to protect their profits that they've already generated. They want to protect their market share. And they've got this cash cow in the parlance that they are afraid to lose. As we've talked about on the podcast before, people tend to be risk averse. But if you don't have anything, if you're a startup, you have very little to lose and you have tons to gain. But as those founders get success and they get wealth that's tied up in the company, as those founders get older, their risk tolerance probably decreases. But more than all of that, B, they bring in people to run an operation and keep that train going who are different than the people who started the company. Cameron Howe's character in Halt and Catch Fire asks why continually and wants to push the envelope all the time. She is naturally like that. Granted, she's just a character. But we all know people like that. And we all know people who resemble most of the characters in office space and the office. In fact, that's most of the people in society. For that reason, it's worth exploring how to ask why. I'd suggest there are two ways of looking at this. One is what I call positive and the other is what I call negative. 
The negative approach is asking why. I know I've advocated asking why for one and a half episodes now. The thing is, asking why is looking at the status quo and questioning it. And yes, that is all what this is about. But if you try and do that within an organization, you might encounter a lot of problems. And it's not actually looking for solutions. It's just questioning the status quo. So we actually want to do both. You want to ask why and then figure out what that alternate reality is beyond that. And this has to do not just with the way you go about this, but also the way you articulate such ideas within an organization or to investors or even to your loved ones at home. If you've got ideas about how to better organize the kitchen drawer, you might be better served suggesting a new way than just asking why or criticizing the existing way. The negative approach is what I'd call looking at the ground. Meanwhile, we could look up at the sky and have this positive approach and ask ourselves, what if? What if that kitchen drawer could be magically organized? I'm not a uh, Marie Kondo fan, but maybe some of you are uh, getting pretty excited right now. <laughs> but we could apply this to a whole lot of other things, <laughs> like my whale prison brain example, or uh, perhaps something more useful and more attainable within the next few years. And now is that part of the show where we get all the way wet. Footnote number one, I shared this on Instagram. So if you're not following Shri the Warrior Poet on Instagram and Shri Actually, my personal account, then you might miss some of this content that I share rather promptly throughout the week after each episode. There was a concert that I came across, a live recording, live video rather, of OK Go performing Debaser. We had OK Go on an episode a few weeks ago. I mean, they weren't actually guests on the show, of course, but I featured a couple of pretty cool songs by them. And I said on that show that I was not really an OK Go fan, but that their live stuff seemed much more compelling than their sort of cutesy recordings and, and videos. This amateur video of their live performance of Debaser was actually pretty awesome. They seem like a different band. I, I, I think maybe they were a bunch of awesome guys who just started getting married and having kids and realized they needed to sell out and make cutesy videos um, with sort of banal lyrics um, without much emotion in order to make money. Uh, but when they, when they cover the pixies, uh, they're, they're pretty badass. So check that out. I'll have it in the show notes. Footnote number two, for those of you looking for tools and tips of the kind that I disparaged in the main body of this episode, there's a great podcast called the accidental creative, and it's a very experienced creative creative, the noun, meaning I think he's a designer or something like that. Uh, I think his name is Todd Henry is the host of that show. And it's funny, I saw on iTunes, it's 2019 to 2020. I think he may have stopped for a number of years because that podcast was one of the earliest ones I listened to in the late 2000s. 
And so there's probably lots of old episodes if they're not on the main podcast sort of venue on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening on. Uh, you can probably find them in the internet archive somewhere. A couple of his tips that I found really useful over the years were to vary your consumption. So if you are really into medieval ballet and that's all you read about, and that's, that's what you're recreating in Peoria, Illinois, you might be well-served consuming other things, whether that be sports or history, or I guess you're already doing history with the medieval ballet. Uh, just, just do something else. Watch some Curb Your Enthusiasm, and that might get the juices flowing. Along with that, Todd Henry's point, one of the points he makes is that having a little bit of sort of sugar in your consumption diet is beneficial. Part of almost everyone's job these days is to entertain in what they're producing and to have that marketing element. You won't be able to relate to human people if all you're reading is physics textbooks and uh, assorted other esoterica. And then additionally, take some breaks. Creating can be an exhausting process. And if you try and force it, you might force really bad ideas or cut corners. So while at the end of the day, those of us who want to be creative or are creative already need to ship things at some point. And a lot of times you need to ship something a little uglier than you think it should be because otherwise just, you'll never actually ship. Taking some breaks is super healthy and planning for those. Footnote number three, we talked about Halt and Catch Fire, the show. I think it's an AMC show. Not that that matters because no one actually watches cable anymore. It's a pretty awesome show. It's no longer in the air. I think they did four seasons. And it's all about the dawn of the technology age. And in particular, I think towards the end, it's about the internet. It gets 92% on the tomato meter. That's the audience score. And then the critic meter is actually very high as well. So a lot of times you get the critics and audience to diverge on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, this one, they're, they're both in the low to mid 90s. Lee Pace plays a really douchey business product guy. <laughs> so those who are in the product field, which yours truly is in technology, uh, that guy doesn't do us any favors, but it's a pretty epic uh, character who has a lot of drama. You've got Scoop McNary, who I, had, I, had to, I wasn't familiar with his name. Uh, pretty awesome nickname there, or maybe his parents just were, uh, had some personality with, uh, with the name. He's, in, he's been in tons of stuff. He plays the main engineer, nerdy engineer in the show, because there's another engineer, Cameron Howe is the character name, as I said earlier. And uh, she just adds so much. It's played by Mackenzie Davis. There's a bunch of other people in there. Um, I'll just, I'll give a shout out to a guy who plays a character, John Bosworth, whose name is Toby Huss. So for those of you who have stuck with me for the last 30 seconds of reading cast names of B plus actors here, um, Toby Huss is uh, an awesome actor. And those of you who have seen the show will immediately recognize, and I hope you all agree with me that his portrayal of that character was amazing. Finally, we've addressed this before on the podcast once or twice, but you've heard the phrase, ideas are a dime a dozen. And yes, there are tons of ideas out there. 
Many of you have tons of ideas all the time. How many of you them have you acted on? Probably not that many. Same here. So let's get our stuff together and actually act on a bunch of these ideas. I heard on another podcast the other day, it's called 48 Days to Work You Love, something like that. I'll link to it. And he was quoting someone who had said that everyone has a million dollar idea, but if you wait on it, <laughs> it won't be worth a million dollars, which uh, is, is pretty true. My point is though, that ideas are not a dime a dozen when it's for a given problem. I guarantee that we haven't reached critical mass on ideas yet for coronavirus. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I've read a lot of articles <laughs> during this pandemic. I haven't seen anyone advocating in vivo virus detection machines. Although, yes, they won't be around for a little while. And even more than not having enough ideas for some critical problems in society, there's lots of problems that aren't highlighted enough. There's problems that probably haven't been discovered yet. And there are ideas that matter that I guarantee no one has come up with yet. In, granted, part one, the last episode, we talked about how the Pixies invented a new genre of music and how they brought the 90s in the 80s. And Debaser is an example of a song that helps us remember to question everything and not take things for granted, to debase those moral and societal conventions all around us. There's another song that comes to mind. Pixies played it live in 1988. The crowd is completely nonplussed. One of the YouTube commenters that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes, he does the quote of Michael J. Fox on stage at the under the sea dance after playing the soul on the electric guitar saying, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. That's basically what that 1988 concert is like. You've got the Pixies just wailing, playing what is ultimately an epic song, and you've got a crowd who doesn't really understand it. Of particular note is Kim Deal who was the founder of the Breeders after she left the Pixies. And I think she might have gone back and forth between bands. I can't remember. Kim Deal was the bassist for the Pixies, and she sings the high note in that live performance, which I will link to in the show notes. And that high note just makes the song as a whole on the record. And in every performance you will hear, She's had some drug addiction problems over the years, so I think it's safe to say from that video that she very well may be high because she is so into it, even though the crowd isn't. I I will note that there are multiple accounts on the internet of people who have met Kim Deal and cite her as one of the few heroes that you actually want to meet in person Uh, they make her seem just like she is a very, very normal person and uh, very, very kind to all her adoring fans, whether that be of the Pixies or during her time with the Breeders. 
Of course, the song we're talking about here is Where Is My Mind? And while I would love to close the show with that, I have read some convincing accounts that have changed my mind on my own interpretation of fair use doctrine uh, or the fair use defense uh, during this podcast. So I will link to all of that in the show notes and probably come up with a medium, some sort of uh, packet for you listeners so that you get all the great content that goes with the show from here on out. That song is old enough where most of you probably heard it for the first time at the closing scene of the epic movie Fight Club. I included a clip as a fill in the middle of the episode here. One of the other iconic scenes is where Edward J. Norton's character, of course, Brad Pitt is the other main actor in the movie, uh, but that scene is where Edward J. Norton's character talks about the Ikea nesting instinct. While many modern songs, and by modern, I'm sort of going back to the 70s and and post, uh, I realize that's not very modern for many of you, but during that era of the last 50 years, many rock songs uh, and I guess we could probably include a lot of other genres as well, have included a lot of nonsense lyrics. I would argue that the Pixies lyrics are anything but nonsense, although they could might maybe mean certain things to different people. I particularly like the line where he talks about his mind swimming with the fishes in the Caribbean, <laughs> hiding behind the rocks. By the way, besides that live performance that I will link to both in the show notes and post on at Shri the Warrior Poet on Instagram, I will share a link to a phenomenal acoustic cover. It's on the YouTube channel 3AM covers by a woman named Britton Lane. I think when she recorded that, she was uh, still technically a child. Regardless, it is one of the most beautiful things you'll hear this week. I guarantee it. Back to those articles on Medium that try to give you tips on how to ask why, how to come up with new ideas, how to come up with better ideas. They say things like, try and be strategic about where and when you think. I don't know about you guys, but where is my mind? Thinking all the time and everywhere, even in the Caribbean with the little fishes. Asking why and not taking anything for granted.
Warrior Poet is a property of Rainiac Productions. If you like The Warrior Poet, there's more great content on Instagram. Follow Shri, The Warrior Poet, on Instagram. That's S-R-I, The Warrior Poet. You can also get to know me on a personal level by following Shri, actually, on Instagram as well. The Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me, Shri. No, 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 no. Kevin, me na dua. Speed up.